This is HPR episode 2932 entitled Star Drifter RPG Playtest Part 10 and is part of the series Tabletop Gaming. It is hosted by Lost and Drunks and is about 54 minutes long and carries an explicit flag. The summary is Lost and Drunks and Friends Playtest a new original RPG system. Today's show is licensed under a CC0 license. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Hello, this is Lost in Bronx, also known as David Collins Rivera. Welcome to part 10 of the Star Drifter role-playing game playtest. Today we have Taj, Bryn, and X1101. Now this is the final episode in this mini-series. Last time, the player characters successfully completed their mission of removing the people from a derelict starship by helping them find a small MacGuffin called a data block in Star Drifter parlance. Though there had been some combat, the player characters ultimately found a peaceful solution. Today, the players rip into the game and provide me with some valuable feedback. Let's get started. First of the game rules, what's your opinion of it? What do I need to fix? I think a lot of the stuff we talked about is it's a good direction to go. I, I really do. I, I, I think getting rid of the classes as a thing and changing it to something a little more broad is probably good. Mm-hmm. I still, there, there are skills I would like to see. Like I know we talked about um, like a thievery skill Okay. or there, there was another one that I thought of tonight and I can't remember what it was. I'll have to think back on it. Um, there was just, a, you know, maybe a couple skills to round it out, but I wouldn't go overboard. Yeah. And then, when you were talking about the FP and and stuff, I think getting rid of that could give it its own flavor. Yeah. So it's it stops being sort of a dungeon raiders hack and starts to become its own thing. So just workshopping your idea there, if you get rid of the character classes, how do you determine starting hit point and stamina? I was thinking of a standard for everybody, but with modifiers based on your statistics attributes so that maybe more constitution will give you better hit points that sort of thing yeah that's you know possibly possibly or maybe depending on your background it might have a modification i don't know i'm not certain or taking another tack something that Clatu suggested is having a point system rather than rolling dice for your statistics have a point system in which case you can set your own hit points at the very beginning depending on how many points you put into it, uh, uh, having a system like that. So you could have somebody who has a lot of hit points, but maybe they're pretty dumb. So similar to the point-by systems I've seen? Yeah, yeah it, would be, it would be something like that. And, and actually, an optimum version of these rules would have viable rules for that 
and for rolling up your character and it, it, depending on what you prefer it, you know when it comes to creating a character and all of them will work just fine in the game that's that would be a perfect world for this game i don't know exactly how to get there just yet but i think i would love to have something like that because some people do prefer one over the other you know the other thought i had while reading one of these oh the spacer opt to roll a second time and choose the best number currently dungeons and dragons 5e does that thing and has a name for it okay I am not necessarily suggesting that you rip off the name, but if that's a me- if that's a mechanic you want to use multiple times, have a name for it and refer to it by name. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, thus far, that's the only thing that I have for that, but yeah, that's that's a good good thought because then I can refer to that as a thing that everyone understands. Well, and to give you an idea to either crib or not. Uh, currently, 5e does, there's a standard roll, 1d20, but then there's advantage and disadvantage. Advantage, you do basically exactly what the spacer is. You roll d- 2d20, take the better. Disadvantage is you roll 2d20, and you have to take the worse one. Ah. Hmm. Interesting. A lot of times they use disadvantage for, like, you're attacking someone who's on who's in cover. Roll with disadvantage. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never heard of that. That's interesting. It's a mechanic that I've found works really well in the games I've played. And because it's a standard, it's a terminology that's easy to understand. Yeah, yeah. It's something to think about, and I will. I'm going to write that down right now. Another thing that I would suggest is kind of, it's not even really a rules thing. It's more of a flavor flavor thing. I would because we had the conversation about how lethal it is, I may actually talk about that. Yeah. And especially yeah. talk about it somewhere around the armor conversation. Um, yeah. So people get an idea that like you should probably have something. <laughs> so that someone who decides they want to build a thug doesn't decide they don't need armor. <clears throat> Me. <clears throat> yeah. Survive. I bought two guns and four knives and no armor. Well yeah. I everybody else getting shot at. Die rolls can make a hash of any amount of armor that you have. I think you know that. I mean, depends on on whether the you know the ro- dice are rolling hot. These actually did. I rolled at least two eights in that fight, which is unusual. But you know, an eight would plus two is ten. When you're talking first level characters, that really that really hurts. <laughs> Wait, were there rifles? Were there rifles? Um, two d six or were they d eights? They they were d eights. Oh wow! You should have got two rifles. Yeah, but I can't, I can't carry two rifles at once. I think you like ambition. He had the money to buy them, too. He had the money to buy a rifle. They can be expensive. I also do want to figure out some way of incorporating dexterity into armor class somehow, or an ability, maybe, if you're being shot and it seems... Like, something like the saving throw. Something like the saving throw that if you get shot, maybe there's a saving throw, and in fact you dodged out of the way. Something like that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. The adventure itself, would you guys, is there any point on the rules system that you'd love to see changed? Or The only thing is, uh, I guess it may come from the fact that I was a pilot in the game, but it just seemed a little that there should be more uh, affinity between uh piloting a spaceship and piloting a space boat because it seems like the principles would be the same going from a spaceship to a space boat should be fairly easy versus going from a space boat to a spaceship my thinking is that 
when a spaceship isn't jumping, it is a space boat. Effectively the same thing. The one thing you won't be able to do easily or safely necessarily if you have been trained in space boats is jumping. Other than that, they, they effectively work the same way. Maybe there should be one skill that just covers piloting normal space. So, yeah, a sublight piloting versus jump. Yeah, that's a good. That's a very good suggestion because then you can get you know if this thing worked, you could just fly it off and it would be fine. Jumping might be a problem because you don't have a jump specialist on board. Other than that, having the skill to to fly a boat should offer you more or less the same skill to fly one of these things, although the size of it would probably give you, you know, minuses because you aren't used to it. Situational modifiers, in other words. Am I wrong? You feel it should be the opposite, that there shouldn't be a connection, or you think there should be a very close connection between those two things? No, there should be a very close connection. I was getting negatives for flying a space boat when I can pilot a starship. Well, that's because that's because I have it set up in the rules that there is a you know, like if you don't have this skill, there's going to be a minus. But I see your point that those should, in fact, have been the exact same skill, not a different skill. Okay. So I am making a note of that. Any other thoughts on the system itself so far? We didn't get much to do with them technically, but at least conceptually, I like what you've done with the armor and shielding. Oh, okay. Both having a... Um, this is how much damage it can receive, and this is how many times it can receive that damage. Yeah, yeah. Again, I lifted that from other things. Okay, so that we think that works, right? Yeah, I, I, we didn't get much chance to play with it mechanically, and I think that's one of those things that you'd almost have to... Yeah, you'd have to have a lot of fights. Yeah. Play a whole campaign to, to really see if the numbers... I think the idea works. Whether or not the numbers are on, we didn't play enough to tell, but I like the idea a lot. So... Is there a possibility of getting your armor repaired, or once it's all shot up, it's done and you toss it? No, well, it's more or less designed to be tossed, but you can get it repaired. And, in fact, you can repair it if you have an uh, engineering general repair. You can re- possibly okay. repair yourself, or you can go to an armorer and pay them, and it's cheap. Yeah, there's, there's ways okay. to get it repaired. Um, things like ballistic shields, it might not be worth the time and effort to do that. It might be easier to buy than to bother with it, but maybe not. Maybe you don't have a choice. Maybe you got to fix it on the fly. So, man, man, this is the this is the future. You just three D print everything you need and and just throw it away when you're done. Yeah, maybe, maybe it might be that simple. It might be that simple. I mean, I don't even have rules for creating stuff like that. I would assume machinery like that would be found in engineering. But if you have a fully stocked engineering section of a of a ship or a large boat. Probably you could build stuff like that. I don't know about maybe the extensible kind, but definitely a, a standard ballistic shield. Probably you could print it off. I would give you a die roll for that, absolutely. But that's me as a game master. That's not a rule in the game, right? So I don't know. How many rules do we want to include for kind of edge cases like that? I don't know. That's one of those things that if I were writing the book, I would put kind of a in a section entitled, you know, these are more of guidelines than hard rules. Here's an example of a thing where we don't have a rule for it, but maybe this is how you would apply the rules. Yeah. Well, that, I think right there, you've hit the key to the, the style of game that I'm hoping for, is use your imagination to apply these rules to your situation. And this is an example. Here's another example. Here's another example. Now, here are the skills that are available. Can you apply those in a creative way? 
it's up to the players and it's up to the game master. I'm telling you, I've played with game masters who would not have allowed a lot of the ideas that we came up with today. You know, you guys came up with simply because they're not in the rules. He doesn't have a rule for it, so she says no. Yeah, I, yeah, those those game masters suck. Well, they do, but there's a lot of them. You know, there's a lot of them. But some people play games like that because they play games that have those rules. You know, they have rules for almost everything. I think that's something you can, like I said before, like it's not even really a rule. This is more of a flavor text thing. Like you could say, like even in the intro to the book, like, you know, these are all rules to get you started. Creativity and ingenuity are the hallmarks of Ejok and the Star Drifter universe. So that's why we're limiting these set of rules. Like we want you to be creative in this and combine things in strange ways. That's that's the core of what this game is. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's the way to go. Some people are looking, well, again, I keep talking about the uh, theoretical some people, some game masters, some players. That's wrong. Yeah, you're right. I'll take that to heart. That's the wrong approach. Thinking about people that run a game differently than I do. It's probably wrong. Maybe I should, I know this sounds self-evident, but maybe I should write this game the way I write the books. Write what I like, and if other people like it too, great. If not, great. I, I agree with you. Write, write the write the game the way you've been writing the books because, you know, at the very least, the people who love the books are going to love the game then. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, some, yeah, some. I mean, the more niche I make this, obviously, the less appeal it will have. But that's okay because the books don't have a lot of appeal, or at least, you know, up until now, they haven't. And that's fine. And that's fine. And in many ways, I'm only creating this for my own fun and for the fun of my friends, right? If in the future other people come to like it, that would be great too. But I don't think I should necessarily be thinking like that anymore. I'm making this for some broader audience. Yes, yes, we, you know, Klaatu and I would love to put this out and make some money off of it, but it's unrealistic to assume that that's really like it's a product, right? Because I haven't written anything in Star Drifter as if it's a product. So maybe I shouldn't do it this way either. And then maybe it could be a product. Okay, so that is the rules, unless anybody's got any other observations. The adventure itself, not saying that it's important, but it is a reflection of the rules. So any thoughts about the adventure itself? It's your standard, you know, there are goblins in the cave and the villagers want you to clear the goblins out. It's a very standard adventure. But with the window dressing and the way that we played it, I felt like I was in the Star Drifter universe for a few minutes there, and... That was fantastic. Well, you wouldn't have been able to, you know, negotiate the goblins out. So that's that's true, too. <laughs> but but that's why it felt like it is, you know, I kind of when I suggested that we maybe not just go in fighting, I was thinking about how would Ejok approach this situation and he'd come at it sideways. And so we came at it sideways. OK, OK, so that was OK, that worked. That was one of the options I had in mind. When I play-tested it myself, I did nothing but the fighting because I wanted to see if the fighting worked. And it is actually possible to beat them, but you have to come at it from a very particular way. Not falling on your face? One of them, I go in from the side. You take the guy out in the elevator. He's busy working there when you show up. And he doesn't notice you if you go quietly. So it's possible to take him out quietly and then proceed elsewhere from there we went into engineering there's a couple of people in there if you can take them out quietly then engineering is a big fight if they come at you in in there but there are a lot of places to hide and there are a lot of options for fighting in there because there's so so much machinery in the way none of it works but it's all there in the way 
it's also easy to die in there because the firefight goes on and on. They all just keep coming at you. I had rules set up that if a certain number of these guys get hurt, finally, finally, this lady finally says, no, this is ridiculous. We're, we're leaving now. And then she would withdraw. They'd call, you know, they would barricade themselves in one of the airlocks and then have their ride show up and they would just take off because it's not worth people's, that many people's lives. Let's put it that way. I had another one where they came in through another, the uh, airlock you guys came in, but they took those two guys out with stunners and took them out quietly. And then the fight was actually a hell of a lot easier there because they could only come from a couple of different directions at that stage. And it was easier to, to beat them from that that point so it is possible but it was also really touch and go even when i did it so i think you guys got off pretty well considering you took some major hits so that went i i don't know overall i think the adventure works on its own and that means the rule system behind it kind of works i don't know i don't know i don't think i would do much more to it like i mean you know like um, having, instead of just a, a shuttle show up, a, a, a fighter shows up and he tries attacking you. And there's no point to it. I mean, you know, I wanted something very, very simple. So it is, an, it's, it is a very simple adventure. Any other feedback on that? Or Yeah, I got like two, two points that I, I would make. I, I, for me, I think the combat part was the most un-Star Drifter. But that's mainly because that's not the focus of the books. <laughs> it just didn't feel right. Um, as soon as we started going at it, like like uh, Lyle said, sideways, it kind of made more sense. Um, my only other critique would be, I think when you're on station, it's a little grindy. Like, do this, do this, do this. And it's, it's almost like you're kind of, I don't know if we just didn't pick up on signals of things to try. Uh, it just seemed like we were kind of being led along a little bit to, to get to the you right were. person. You were. However, you did have the option to go in a different direction yourself. You did find your own job right off the bat, just didn't pursue it later. But that was an option, too. Of course, that job would have been this job. I think you figured that out, you know. <laughs> um, and it, you wouldn't have been dealing with that other guy. You would, or that guy would have been a broker for this, uh, for this guy, and it would have been all the same. And it wouldn't have felt quite as forced, possibly. By the same token, you know, what was said, you know, before the the idea of going sideways, you guys were kind of floundering. You didn't know what to do with yourselves. So, you know, I could have let you just stay up at the high dock and then, you know, wait for the phone call. That's pretty standard, that whole phone call thing. And I got a job for you. I, yeah, there are ways that probably that could have been more finessed. I agree with that. Then again, the purpose of this was to get you into the into the job as fast as possible. So I'm not sure... Or I could have done except to say that you were hired to do this job specifically. That might have been a little bit easier. Well, and it's also kind of just inherent of the art form. Like there's always the, the like meeting in the end. Like there's always the slow yeah. Like, yeah. start. Um, well, and, and you either just narratively give concession to there's not a way to not do this awkwardly. So we're just going to do it awkwardly. Yeah. Or you you try really hard to make it not awkward and then it's awkward because you're trying to make it not awkward. Well, I can tell you this much. If this had been a regular campaign, I would have had many other things you could have done and not just this one. You know, I would have had adventure hooks that you could have gone in any direction, but this would have been the adventure to have here in this star system. And then maybe you wouldn't have had it here. You know, maybe you would have gotten an adventure hook that got you on a starship and you took off someplace else. This adventure never happened. But I keep it in my back pocket because maybe next time you're in this place, I'll just drop this adventure in, right? But because it was just a play test, this was the adventure. 
and uh, you know that's all I had. I don't, you know, I didn't have a whole campaign behind it, so I, I'm not trying to defend it. But I'm just saying that, yeah, I agree. That it's pretty shallow overall, pretty shallow and pretty forced. Well, and and I probably was like, yeah, I get to play in Star Drifter, and then I was like, I'm stuck on the station. This sucks. <laughs> so I mean, part of it was probably just me being excited. Well, I, you know, there are different. Dire- I could have done a different adventure entirely. You know, I could have stuck you on Barlow during the fight, all of that stuff. I don't know how much fun that would have been. But- Let's not do that. <laughs> Okay, so good. I'll take that under consideration. That it's eh, it's a little forced. Yeah, it is. I agree with that. Okay, and finally, my game mastering style, which is informed by those two things. So, what would you prefer a game master do in this system, or less forcing? I I would see that. Yeah. I mean, it it fit what we were doing. I don't think there was in like what you were doing was pretty spot on like it, everything was challenging there wasn't a part where i felt like we were sailing through things again that has a lot to do with the adventure as well but Bryn, any thoughts on that I, he has played under me as a as a game master before yeah this is absolutely horrible i mean i guess <laughs> i <laughs> i knew i liked him i knew i liked he him. doesn't pull punches no <laughs> no no, this is. I agree with the uh, with the other guys. This is uh, this is something I wish were. It hopefully, will become a uh, a campaign that we could get together and continue playing. If that's the indication of my thoughts and feelings about the playtest, uh, I definitely like it. What follows is a discussion that took place about halfway through the second game session when the group took a short break. Much of it is just me yammering on and on as I want to do, but I place it here because we did chat about the structure, rules, and styling of various RPGs, including, but not limited to, Star Drifter. So, the game, as I've structured it so far, is mostly centered around the idea of problem-solving, by not having to roll dice or rely on skills and such, or or I should say applying your skills in a creative way than maybe some other games will uh, expect you to do. that makes any sense? No, I get it. I think that may just be an aspect of simple game systems like this, rules-like games like this. It's kind of the onus is on the players to come up with creative ways of applying what new rules there are to their advantage. I don't know how much of that is coming through on the game system. Let's see. And it doesn't matter 100% because I the concepts I have for altering next version of the game, you know, it might change things considerably or change the way the game is played considerably. If there were a lot more skills available that I had written down, and if things were a little clearer in the basic game book, it might make a difference too. But overall, I, like, one of the things that was brought up was the question of, you know, I don't see any thief skills. I don't see a thief skill. And the idea was that you're supposed to apply like things like engineering to picking locks and mechanical stuff, That's that sort of thing. I could use something like sleight of hand as to just a plain old dex thing, because that is a skill. I didn't include that here. But there are certain skills that are very specific, but a lot of them are just how you apply some normal skills, you know. A locksmith is also a very good lock picker. So it's that sort of thing. It's just a different approach to gaming. It's a different one than I've had with most of the games I've played, but I'm enjoying it anyway. Well, that's good. 
that's good. I know that's kind of tangential to the purpose of being here, but... No, it's actually in, entirely the purpose of you being here, getting your feedback, you know, because this this doesn't exist in an island. It, it's, you know, you coming to this game, you're also bringing all the experience you've had in other game systems and the things you liked about those and things you didn't like about those. You're bringing all of that to this game, and that will inform the choices you make and overall how much you you do enjoy it or don't enjoy it in the end you know because there may be things about the game that in another you know like, like you might enjoy yourself but it might just be the company as opposed to the game rules you know what i'm saying i mean the games i've been running i'm that's actually a thing that i'm trying to get across is you know this is a toolbox to inform how we do things not a list of what you can do yeah see that's the hard part and an awful lot of that is down to the game master of the game, whoever's running the game, and the players and what they're used to. Something that I brought up last time was just that, you know, not everybody is good at this sort of creative on-the-fly thinking. And that's not to take anything away from them or their style of play. It's just they're, it's just not especially that they have. It's not something they're good at and they don't enjoy it. They like seeing a menu of choices and coming up with a solution that way as opposed to, I'm just going to wing it, and what can I do? Can I apply it this way? Can I apply it that way? That sort of creative thinking isn't everybody's style, and a game that focuses on one style over another does leave out a certain amount of players, you know? Yeah, yeah. Games that are very rules-heavy leave out people that don't want to be bogged down by, like, digging through the the rule book for 20 minutes to figure out what, what they can do. I mean, to me, that's boring. But some people enjoy it. I have a bunch of my friends that I've been playing with. I've been big into Pathfinder recently, and just looking at them describe like, some of the nonsense builds they've come up with, I'm like that's too far for me. Like I, I've found that for me personally, Five E kind of hits check boxes in kind of just the right amount of giving enough of a toolbox for new players to know how to do what they want to do, but also be broad enough to just kind of make stuff up. For for me in the games that I'm enjoying playing, but I can see how if you're used to something with less rules, that even that feels big and clunky. I'm not a real fan of a lot of the way skills are applied in some of the games, especially the fantasy games. It seems like it's a it's a halfway solution, right? It's like it's either going to be class based or it's going to be you know because in the original D and D, your class was, I mean that dictated everything you could do, right? If you're a fighter, you fought really well. That was your skill. You know, if you're a magic user, you cast spells. That was your skill. You didn't get anything beyond that. And adding skills on top of that feels weird to me, right? Because I don't really come from that background. It seems like you already got a job, but now these are other skills you got. And because you're not because you're not always fighting. You're not always fighting. No, you're not always fighting. But many of those skills, some of them are fighting skills or, or very. I mean, they're very closely aligned to fighting skills. But you, yeah, right. Most of those are not fighting skills. Some of them have absolutely nothing to do with your class. But that's fine too because we all know certain skills. I, in other words, I understand why they do it and I understand the appeal of it. But it still feels uh, inelegant. If that makes – that's kind of a reach because elegance of rules is subjective, and I understand that. But basically, like when I first started thinking about this game, I was thinking I'm going to make everything 
just skill based. No levels, no anything. When you got new points from your adventuring, you put them into skills, and that was that. And that still kind of appeals to me, but it also seems an awful lot like Traveler, right? And it's in which case it's like, well, just play Traveler. You don't need to play Star Drifter, right? There's no point in a new game system in that case, if that's really what I'm after. Granted, that's simplifying Traveler, because there are more rules than that, and there are expanded rules, and there's, I mean, it's been around a long time. And there are many different versions of it, too, for that matter. But I needed some place to start, so I, I grabbed Dungeon Raiders, and I built from there and changed and swapped out. As a result, this isn't the most elegant thing for me either, necessarily, but I'm not I'm not sure what I mean by elegance, again, because it is subjective. It's just, it's a feel thing, I suppose. I'm not comfortable necessarily with the way the rules are structured. I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know, that's what a playtest is for, but I'm not I'm not entirely certain. Granted, it it needs way more rules, you know, for things like skills and armor and more weapons and all of that. You know, I I understand that, but from a basic structural standpoint, the idea that mostly what you're relying on are skills and your skills are based on attributes and your saving throws are based on attributes and everything else. To me, I like that. There's a certain elegance to that, and I like that. But I'm not sure I like the idea of classes. I'm not sure I like the idea of levels. These things seem to clash for me, and I don't know. I, I can't put my finger on it. Well, I, specifically, the thing I thought of when I read the the way you had talked about level ups is that doesn't feel like it would scale well with leveling up because each level is just going to become easier and easier because you're you're stronger if your your enemies aren't getting progressively stronger i mean they'll get stronger so you'll get more xp or they won't get stronger so you can kill more of them and you'll get more xp and so each level becomes easier and easier to get is what is the first thought i had when i saw oh each level is the same amount of xp i agree with you i agree with you on that i figured the top end for a player character in this game is probably about fifth level probably not much more than that Oh, okay. Well, in that case, it's less concerning. But understand, this was designed for a playtest. I just wanted to see if the basic combat system would work. Leveling, you're not the first one to point out issues with the leveling. Klaatu had several comments on that point. And I agree with them. I do. I agree with them. I'm thinking of dumping levels. I'm thinking of the... We won't have levels. We'll have skills. We will have attributes. And your skills and your attributes and your uh, something else, you get those from whatever points you're getting. I, I'm calling them character points instead of experience points so that you don't get like 3,000 experience for this great adventure. You might get three character points for this adventure, but you can expend them immediately on things like raising your attributes or raising a skill or you know raising – I'm not even sure. I had something else listed. I, I get, the one thing I would see, the one thing that immediately falls through the cracks for me there is how does one then raise their HP? Or maybe the answer is you don't because... Uh, the HP is one of those things. Yeah. That are, oh, okay. I have, I'm looking at it right now. Skills, attributes, or HP. And your stamina is equal to your HP, so that goes up too. So, well, and the other answer is maybe you don't because there is kind of an upper limit on how, how tough you can make a human-ish body. Not in this future, there isn't. Don't forget genetic engineering, there's biomechanics, there's this, there's that. Oh. We can justify it almost any way we want, but probably the best way is simply to have limits on how many of those you can spend at any one time. 
so that you can, you know, you can raise skills or like an attribute. You can expend one character point on one attribute, period, right? So like if you, for per adventure or per time like that. So if I gave you three character points, only one of those can go to an attribute at any one time. Maybe one point to a hit point. Maybe, and the rest have to go to skills, that sort of thing. I mean, I don't have it figured out just yet, and I haven't, certainly haven't play tested any of it, but. But it seems like you're noodling on it and trending toward trending towards a solution. I'm trending towards it. Whether it's a solution is another story. I think there's an idea there. Something. I think there's an idea there, but I don't know that. Uh, I'm not sure that the one for one thing is a great answer. <laughs> you know, like one character point equals, you know, you can expend one character point and get one new skill point or that sort of thing. I don't know if that scales or if do we, you know, you get a certain amount of character points and for each character point you can, you know, like 10 character points will buy you one skill point. It gets complicated for no real reason when you start doing that sort of stuff. I'd rather have limitations on how many you can spend and then just do it one for one and then there's no confusion at that stage. I don't, know. I don't know. There's a lot of directions I can go in, but I think I'm going in that one, along with some of the other suggestions. The other thing that confused me for starting out mechanically, and it's largely because of my lack of background in traditional D&D, was the low is good. Yeah, I know. That is, that's counterintuitive. It, it's, based n- on, yeah. it's not a, I don't see it as fundamentally a bad idea, so much as all of, all of modern gaming that I've seen has gone the other direction. Yeah. I find that confusing because you end up a lot of times, like when we were playtesting, uh, we ran... Uh, Starfinder? Starfinder. I was... I never knew what I was rolling. I would just... What do I roll? A 20-sided die? I tell them what I got, tell them what my skills were. That was it. That's all I could understand. I didn't understand any of it. For me, equal to or less makes a little more sense, right? It's just when you start adding modifiers to that because of your skills or because of any situational modifiers that are happening on the ground at that moment, then it gets a little complicated, and I didn't describe it clearly, either in the rules or in person when you talk to me directly on it. I know I didn't describe it very well, but I I hope that in... Certainly the, the one line in the rules was not enough to make it click for me. Yeah, no. well, I, I couldn't even describe it properly, so it probably didn't click very well for me either. I had a concept in my head, but I think... In the fight, we got to see it in in action. Yeah, I think, yeah, mechanically it works really well. But I need to describe it better, absolutely. And especially since it's not just combat. Every skill in the game and attribute checks, if you don't have a skill covering a particular situation, all of them run on the same mechanic. So that has to be made clear, and I know I didn't make it clear. Well, and I think that's a strength is having, you know, this is the way things are checked being one way the whole time, that's going to make it clear very quickly. Yeah, I think that works pretty well. And I'm actually, although we didn't use them so far in this game, I like saving throws quite a bit because they are based on your attributes, and yet you check those exactly the same way. The one thing, uh, you know, people say, well, you know, having to do a little math to figure it out is confusing. But, I mean, is it really? You know, I mean, you're you're talking about very low numbers and no fractions, so I don't know how confusing it really is. But that I thought that was fairly decent. We could have used that when people were taking damage from the – because I have an alternate rule in the rule book about if you take physical damage – off your hit points, not your stamina, but off your hit points, you get to roll for half. 
and that would be a saving throw, a physical saving throw for half on just your damage. And the reason I came up with that was because I don't have anything in these rules for dexterity adding to your armor class. There's nothing for that in the rules. And I was like, well, what if cuz your physical your physical saving throw is partly based on on dex. On dexterity as well as your physical strength and, you know, your constitution. So what if you roll for half every time you get you know, damage off your hit points and minimum of one point, but roll for half and, you know, rolling up or dropping fractions. I haven't figured that out yet, but, and that's sort of a vague reflection of your dexterity. It's that's inelegant. If we're talking elegance, that is inelegant. I know that, but it was kind of a last minute compromise and we didn't even do it this time. And I thought the fight still went fairly well, but it doesn't reflect your dexterity. So that I think that needs to be addressed as well. The other thing I got from the fight, and this isn't necessarily something that's wrong, but something to be aware of, is this game feels like it could be very lethal, which might be what you want. I mean, that's that's definitely a thing I've heard people criticize Shadowrun for, is that, you know, one bad roll and your character's dead. And here we had somebody who two bad rolls and with somebody dead and maybe that's part of the aesthetic you want i'm just saying that that appears to be how it is make sure it is the way you want it to be or not well let's put it this way i don't want characters dropping like flies that is not a thing i'm after however i do want firearm combat to be deadly because it is i want people to come up with creative solutions like this Instead of having to go in guns blazing all the time. Because if you do, in real life, you're a dead person. You know, I mean, um, guns are deadly. You know, you don't get half, you know, saving throws for half. You, you get shot, you die, you know. So I'm not sure where I'm falling. Because I like the fact that it's very lethal. But I recognize that for particular kinds of players or a particular kind of game master, it's a horrible game. Because it becomes a killer game immediately. And I want to say again, I'm not complaining about that. I'm simply observing a thing and saying, make sure this is doing the thing you want it to do. I understand that, and I appreciate the observation. I'm not exactly sure what to do about it just yet, because I want it to be deadly, but I also want characters to not drop like flies. That's where the armor comes in. If you have good, decent armor, you can take a bunch of hits. Like that guy got shot like three or four times, and he was still alive. You know, and he doesn't get any stamina because he's an NPC. So that was just off his hit points, and that was his armor doing. So the armor is supposed to absorb an awful lot of that damage too. So kind of in your structure, the 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 having the stamina, being able to shrug off a bunch of this, is the thing that makes us uh, better. Yeah, the the the, he- the heroicness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that makes it so that you guys can take more than they can, not necessarily more than they can dish out. But more than they can. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same thing I try to explain to to my players. Is you know, as a level one adventurer, you are already considerably better than Joe on the street. Yeah, and it, the the stamina thing kind of does seem like a, a a good way of expressing that. I lifted that from Starfinder, or uh, yeah, Starfinder, because that that's part. I guess do they do that in Pathfinder? Because they do it in Starfinder. Uh, I, I haven't. It's been a long time to play Pathfinder. Okay. Well, Starfinder has got that in there, and I thought, man, that is a great idea. I love that. So I, I lifted that, you know, concept from there. You know, it's done my own way, but it's it's um it's a basic concept. Also, another thing with 
player characters is if you get shot and you go to zero, you are unconscious, but you're still alive. You're losing points, but you can go down to a negative that's equal to your constitution before you die. So that's a number of chances of surviving this thing, if you, especially if you have people who can help you. And I have a bunch of rules for staunching your wounds or, or stabilizing somebody so they don't keep losing points, that sort of thing. So there are a number of things that player characters can do. They're tougher. Overall, player characters are tougher because they can take more damage and survive it than non-player characters. However, you know, all you need is a good couple of rolls. As you pointed out, all you need is a good couple of rolls, especially with a rifle. Nobody on our team had a rifle doing more damage than anything else anybody was doing, and suddenly people are dropping like flies again. The balance, that the combat balance thing is really difficult, and I'm not sure if the rules are adequate to it just yet. I'm not. So it would take a lot of fighting to find out if this combat system actually works. Better chances, you know, better chances not to get hit entirely than, than the decks would come into it at that stage. My opinion, just for the little bit that we did, is I, I think it's probably right as far as lethality, because, like, when you start doing the D&D thing or the Pathfinder thing, you're trying to be everything to everyone. And that's why you never kind of know what game you're getting in when you play that. Like you could be in a total role-playing game that's narrative, or you can be in like just a dungeon crawl where this kind of forces it to be more narrative, which I think is probably what you're going for. Well, that's my gaming style, right? That's my personal preference as a game master. As a game designer, I'm not sure that's correct, right? Because you know, someone picks up this game and they want something different. They want a space opera shoot 'em up. This isn't the game for them, you know? And that's fine. That's fine. Not every game is going to be for everybody. But, you know, if you're trying to appeal to an audience, I think you got to try to offer some of that up. Does that make any sense? Or It, it does. My, my, only, my only counter with that is if you're trying to appeal to an audience, you have to... Most people say you have to know your audience, but I'm gonna I'm gonna spin on that and say you have to decide who you want your audience to be. Yes, and you know if what you want to do is build a system that is good at being the framework upon which people do collaborative storytelling, build it that way. Don't worry about the fact that well these people over here who want to do a super crunchy game, this isn't gonna be the right system for them because okay, it's not the right system for them. And everybody's used to doing that. Every gamer has bought a game, played it, and been like, oh, that's not what, that's not what I expected. You know, well, that's not, true. Yeah, not uncommon. Yeah, you're true. And yep. my, my complaint with Starfinder anyway is that I really did feel like they're trying to be everything to everybody. And I was going to say, like, that, I know you're, you've been concerned about it being Traveler. Like, well, well why don't I just do Traveler? Traveler, this is how you do it. Like, you just have to plant your flag and say, this is what I want my game to feel like. And, and go that direction. I think a lot of the, the more successful games recently, uh, probably in the last 10 years, have definitely like went down one path and said, you know, if you want to play this kind of game, this is the game to get. And the word just gets out about it. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you're right. I mean... It's like all the Powered by the Apocalypse games. Uh, Taj, you seem to be more familiar with that than I am, but it seems like it's kind of a single system that then has a bunch of things grafted on per setting. Does that sound about right? Yes, but the thing about Powered by the Apocalypse is it is, in in, a, in the best way possible, at least in my opinion, it is forcing you to everything has to be narrative. Like, there there are rules for combat, and the rules count, but, like, even in that, the way the structure of the game works, 
you can't just be passive and say, oh, I rolled a 20. Like, you have to... Okay, tell me what that means. You, Yeah, you have to be part of the storytelling. Like it, it, it offloads some of the storytelling from the GM to the player. And so for me, because I when I play, I most often have to GM, which I get sick of doing because I don't get any, you know, I know everything going in. Um, it's nice for me because I just like they don't know what they're getting into when they sit down at the table. I have a rough idea, but they can totally throw it off. And so a lot of people don't like that system because you have to be quick on your feet and you have to be able to think on the fly and change things. Um, but that's one of the reasons I love it. I think it's, it's challenging for both player and game master. It's, it's a lot more, it's a big focus on the collaborative part of the collaborative storytelling that I keep phrase. I keep using. Definitely. And I can see where like Claw 2 doesn't dig it because it's not like, it's not hard. Like here's the math, <laughs> you know, yeah, there's sometimes that's a huge appeal for a certain type of player. Klaatu is one. Of, he's, he's told me straight up that that's what he, one of the greatest appeals to him is manipulating the numbers, rolling the dice, all, you know, all the, I don't know what you'd call it. The technical, well, as you say, the crunchy, crunchy rules type of stuff, like the crunchiness. He loves that. And I get that because I used to be that way myself, you know, I am over it now. I am way, way over it. But I understand the appeal of that. This game, if I do what I have in mind, will not appeal to people who like that sort of gaming. Right. Because there won't be that much of it. There'll be some, but not very much. And the less of it there is, the happier I'll be. I, I don't want it entirely. Like, I've actually, I've seen some game systems that don't have any dice or anything like that. You know, there's point bidding and all this other stuff, but it's entirely. It's effectively just storytelling. You know, it's just storytelling. Then that's a little loose for my taste. Uh, even now, that's a little loose for my taste. I don't want something quite like that, but I want something that, uh, you know, it's Star Drifter, right? So I want that sense of Star Drifter, of, of detail in the background. That's really where this game is going to live or die. I want that there, and I want the ability for people to come up with creative solutions because in my mind, that's what EJOC does. And I want people to be able to emulate that. So, you know, because this is the source material that I'm pulling from. I don't know. I don't know. I think you're right. I need to pick an audience and decide that's who this is for, and the rest of you can find something else. What you just said, it just rings true to me because it's similar. I'm I'm working on a homebrew thing and have been for a while that is powered by the apocalypse, but because of the setting, I'm putting more crunch in it because it needs more crunch for that setting. Like, yeah, you, you yeah. just do what the setting dictates, I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Cause like if this had a more of a cyberpunk sort of quality to it, I would have far more rules about hacking and about cracking systems and about computers in general, different types of computers, different specialties within computer engineering, et cetera, et cetera all of which can be applied by people who know what those things are, but certainly wouldn't apply to everybody, you know, just the average, you know, person who doesn't know computers at all. All of that, all those rules would be lost on them. So unless you're doing something giant like Starfinder or Pathfinder, you really want to pick your audience and and run with them, I think. And I mean, the fact that Star Drifter, this is the setting for it. This is the universe for it. I guess that's sort of the audience I'm I'm after, people that like that sort of thing. Oh, but I mean I could see just as much appeal in a you know, super crunchy, gritty numbers driven game in the Star Drifter universe as one that's, you know, even lighter weight than this. 
that's more about what kind of gamer you are than what kind of setting you like. Well, true, true. Or what kind of adventure, like what kind of, like say you, your company um, gets hired to retrieve something like these slobs did, but yours, you have to break into a secure facility and get out. There might be tons and tons of cyberpunk type of, you know, cracking systems and getting in, in which case I would need more rules to cover much of that, right? My concept for this game is that it's modular and that... Or, or just better roleplay. Well, you can. You're right. You can figure it all out through role-playing. But my concept was of a modular game where I might have a supplement that would come out that would be all this cyberpunk rules that you could graft in and use if you want, but they would build on top of the base rules. You could use the base rules if you want, but if you want to go super crunchy into, say, computers, or you know, we'll use computers for an example – you would have this supplement that you could apply if you want. That I think that would work because they wouldn't they wouldn't get rid of anything that you've already established. You would just add to the rules, and people can use them or not. If they don't have it, they can still play the same adventure. I don't know. It's a concept, but it's a lot of work. We're we're talking about an awful lot of work, and I don't know where to focus my attention necessarily. I mean, I'm just plodding along on this, and I'm having fun. I am having fun, but. If it stops being fun, I'm going to stop working on it. And when it starts getting to be a lot of work, <laughs> it's a lot less fun. Quick thanks to all my players for their wonderful feedback and patience as I fumbled through the game. I'd like to offer you my own overview of those three major topics. That is the rules, the adventure, and my own game mastering of this playtest. First, the rules, and I'm reading from my own notes here, so please, a little indulgence as I fumble along. Uh, playing and discussing what was going on gave me many ideas for improvements. Now, this is an earlier version of the rules. I have since worked on a later edition, and I've implemented many of the changes that were discussed throughout the course of this playtest. For certain rules, such as initiative, it was immediately obvious to me that change was required. Initiative was slower and more clunky than I would have preferred. I also didn't like that it broke with one of the major mechanics of the game, that is where lower is better, structuring it so that higher was better. It's just why. There's no particular reason to, so I need to make a change there. Uh, let's see, what else? I didn't get to test saving throws at all, which was entirely my own fault. And that goes into the adventure, which is next. I should have created situations in which to test each major element of the rules. I didn't, which was a missed opportunity. If I had done that, if I had picked out every section of the rules and created a scenario for that, I could have tested all of those in this one game session. I wasn't thinking that far ahead, I guess, and I didn't do that. My fault. That's on me. Next, I did get a sense of the combat rules, healing rules, and some of the skill use, and that was nice. I do feel like I have a, a much better sense of how all of that works. And finally, a couple of self-observations about my game mastering style. I should have been much better organized than I was. I got confused routinely, and I contradicted myself several times. I was rushing, I was feeling a little under the gun, frankly, and I wasn't quite as prepared as I should have been walking into it. Uh, next, 
it would have been easier to run the game if we'd used some sort of digital tabletop or whiteboard. Now, if you're not familiar with those, those are basically online services. There are also standalone applications that you can put into your own server, but these are basically ways to create a desktop environment as if you were all sitting around a table where you can put little figurines down and have some sort of background so that people could understand where everyone is at any particular time. Some people use them routinely for almost everything they do in a game, but most people only use them for critical situations such as combat. That's how I always used them in the old days, and that's how I would have preferred to use them here for this playtest. And I didn't have that available because it seemed a little bit more complicated than I wanted for something so quick. In retrospect, I still don't think I would have done it. Not for this. But going forward, any game that I do for Star Drifter will have to have something in place. I'm still looking at my various options. Personally, I prefer a whiteboard because that is much more theater of the mind. Uh, much more stylized. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. But definitely that would have helped. Next, the adventure would have been better and easier to run if it had been part of a larger campaign instead of an isolated one-shot or in this case two sessions but a single adventure and especially with rules that are in flux and untested. A larger game setting would have allowed the players to have a wider latitude of action and way more options at their disposal. They would have understood the universe better. They would have understood the structure of the game better. They would have had perhaps NPC allies they could have called on. There, there are a lot of things that they could have done. This is just a side effect of the fact that it is a playtest, obviously. But in the end, it would have been easier for them to achieve the goal, I think, if this had been one adventure among many rather than just a single one-shot. Now, I hope this miniseries gave you some insight into at least part of the construction process for tabletop role-playing games. Understand, though, that this particular approach, or my approach, is only one possible way that it could happen. There are infinite numbers of ways that this could be done. Some game creators work in larger teams with each writer taking on a particular element of the game. So one person is working on combat, another person is working on character construction, another person is working on weapons and others on armor, that sort of thing. Some of these people rely upon playtesting for the majority of their game design decisions. And others do daily playtests, specifically focusing on new or evolving rule sets. If you have those kinds of opportunities, that's a good thing. Because no matter how you go about it, one thing is universal. Playtesting is absolutely vital. Feedback is golden, and every criticism presents an opportunity for improvement. I want to extend my sincere thanks to my fabulous playtesters, Klaatu, Taj, Mark, who played Bryn, Brian, and Lyle, also known as X1101. If you enjoyed this miniseries, you have those fine gentlemen to thank. And if you didn't, you have me to blame. Any strengths were theirs, any faults were my own. This has been Lost in Bronx. Thank you for listening. Take care.
You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.